listening to the Uloft podcast presented by United IUP, a community of college students and young adults in Indiana, Pennsylvania, who are dedicated to unite with each other and Christ to change the world around us. We hope that this podcast raises questions and answers others while ultimately starting a conversation to discover unifying biblical truth in this chaotic world. Very unstructured indeed. That's pretty much how we do the podcasts. Yeah, we just kind of turn on, press record, and start talking. And start going, yeah. Kind of like this. Yeah. I'm here with Kendall Kersey, and we are going to talk... It's Kersey, by the way, not Kersey. It's not an S, it's Z. Oh, I was wondering that. Yeah, well, now you know, and now everybody else that listens knows. Kersey sounds like a type of cheese. <clears throat> that would be Kersey. <laughs> That's my alter ego. Yeah. All right, cool. All right, so we both of us actually sat through a pretty good lecture recently about demoralization in the church. And I remember looking over at you a couple times thinking, it's not a guy who gets demoralized very easily. And I wonder how he personally handles demoralization. So I want to open up with that question. How do you personally handle demoralization? Okay, well, first, why don't you define demoralization for us so that uh, we're all on the same page? It's something like you know, you have a series of bad things happen to you and you kind of just give up hope and you're just like, well, why am I even doing this? I think, I think demoralization happens when you start to ask the question, why am I even doing this? I think that's where you're really entering into demoralization territory because it's not the same. It's kind of worse than discouragement. Discouragement could be something like something that could pass in a day. Like you could show up to a job interview, for instance, and could, you could tell that you get rejected by the job interview just doesn't go well. And so you walk away discouraged. And then maybe a couple days later, you hit another one and it goes well. And you're just like, all right. But demoralization seems like it has a harder, it's harder to overcome because it gets into the question of why. And then you really have to start searching yourself and figuring out in terms of your own narrative why you're living the way that you are and what you're doing. Yeah. So uh, I would say an easy way uh, that you could define demoralization to, um, to put it into context is like if you are currently working a job that you hate and you hate it with everything in you and you're just like, why am I even here? And it's like, well, I have to get a paycheck. So I guess I'll just keep showing up and doing the absolute least I can possibly do. And, uh, <clears throat> who we were listening to said, think of Stanley Hudson on the office. Yeah. Like that dude shows up at the last minute and is not going to stay and is not going to do anything else. And the only thing that brings him uh, joy is like funnel cake day or (laughs) anything that he gets food out of in the office, but everything else he absolutely hates and uh, is completely demoralized at literally anything. And especially when Michael Scott, does Michael Scott things. So, um, Stanley Hudson is, is the, is the demoralized character that we could all like look at and be like, okay, that dude. Yeah. He's, he's that way. Um, but when you look at the entire context of the last, especially two years, uh, three years ish, uh, you could say this entire country, um, and much of the world is demoralized. Like w- the question of what are we even doing? has like entered my mind a lot over the past couple of years about like, you know, just whether it be uh, political, you know, uh, whether it be sociological issues, whether it be uh, just really anything, just, you know, having to deal with the pandemic or having to deal with death or having to deal with loss of friendships or, or loss of jobs or whatever. It's like, 
all those things are easily uh, can easily demoralize you. And so we're living in an age of demoralization. And I would say that for me, this is not going to be, uh, it's, it's hard to put practicalities on this because for me, like the way that I've grown up, I have faced a lot of issues that are like, can be demoralizing. Like I have, I have had to face issues where either I'm going to be tenacious and I'm going to rise up or I'm going to slink back and I'm simply going to just sit on the couch and let my life waste away. And there's been times, there are days when that happens. Like there, there are days, but those don't usually turn into long periods. Now, if I was to look at and I was to say, okay, why did I, um, why was I able to have that mindset? I think part of it is is the nurturing aspect of it, which is funny because it doesn't sound very nurturing, but my dad was that way too, where he was like, we don't have time to sit and sulk about this. Like, and not in a mean way, but like either you can control something, either you can control the situation you're in or you can't. So if you can control the situation that you're in, then do everything you can to help fix that situation and if you can't control the situation you're in, then guess what? You can't control it. So why is there any point in focusing on it? Because it's like, well, I can't control it anyways. And I can only focus on what I can control. And so like that was my upbringing, whether it be from my father, whether it be from a coach, um, you know, are you going to like whatever, if, if it's like a football game or a baseball game and, you know, I make an error or whatever in, in high school or in college. And it's like, well, could you have controlled that error? Well, yeah. Okay but can you do anything about it right this moment? No, you're going to have to wait till practice to go fix that error. Right now you have a job to do and you need to suck it up and move on and keep moving forward in this game and we'll see what happens. And so it's like, focus on what you can control. Don't focus on what you can't control because when you focus on what you can't control, anxiety happens, demoralization happens, um, defeat and being defeated happens. Um, and there are times I'm not, not to say that there aren't times in my life when I feel this way. I have felt this way many times over the course of the next, last few years. But it's always like, I always come back to that. Like, can I control what's going on in some in some aspect um, and, or can I not? And that's going to determine how I react. Now, the one thing you can always control, always control, is your response to an issue. Like, and well, maybe I'll back off the word always because there might be some pre <laughs> pre uh, some prerequisite things that have happened to you or whatever like that that, that make it difficult to have a a um, calm emotional response. But what I do think is that you are in control of your emotions and on how you react to certain things. So if you're going to overreact to a lot of stuff, then you're going to be demoralized a lot. You have to have proper perspective. Can I control or can I not? And if I can, let's do something about it. If I can't control anything about it, then guess what? It's not on me anyways. And I've got to do the best I can to, to survive in the situation that I've been put in. So whenever you are in the moment where you have to decide whether you're going to be more tenacious or whether you're going to sulk on the couch, like does that feel like a choice to you? Or does it, does it feel like you end up following the path of least resistance and your path of least resistance happens to be tenacity and moving forward? Or do you feel like you have to agonize over that choice? I think at this point, um, that is a choice, but it comes a lot quicker. It didn't used to come that quick. So for instance, um, 
like if if there's something in my life right now that I'm feeling sorry for myself about or I'm I'm starting to move towards demoralization typically what I will do is I will talk to somebody about it like I know okay I'm if I don't talk to somebody about this um that I who's someone I trust then I am going to slip into depression and into demoralization and into screw this why am I even doing anything in my life right now so and when I talk to somebody it helps me put things into perspective and makes me, it, it forces the decision on me of, are you going to keep complaining and sulking or are you going to get up and move forward? Um, and so I didn't always have that option. Like I didn't always feel like I had that option. Uh, it's just a matter of like, it's a matter of doing that over and over again to then force the path of least resistance. Now, if I put myself back like when I was in high school or early college years, um, I would say I needed people in my corner to help me do that. Like I needed people to help me put things into perspective without me seeking them out. And so like the onus isn't completely on you. It's partially on your community. And like, are we holding each other up? Are we encouraging one another? Um, there's people in my life that are very close to me that when something happens on the news, uh, that seems like it's the end of the world to them. I'm like, okay, yeah, that sucks, but let's just see where it goes. And this, this also isn't, isn't the greatest <laughs> piece of advice, but guess what? It's going to get worse before, <laughs> before it ever gets better and God's in control. So I'm not too worried about it. Like, is it going to suck? Yes. But he's put us in this time for this reason. Um, and, it's just a matter of us like being willing to say, okay, God, whatever you want to do. So I've had people in my life that have called me out um, and not allowed me to become demoralized. And that has then allowed me to have the tools now to go seek those people out because I know who those people are going to be in my life. So then there's wisdom in knowing yourself and knowing what your own patterns are. And then also having the humility to say, okay, because I know myself, I have to take steps A, B, and C before I get to that point so that I don't get to that point. Because I think with young men in particular, uh, one of the problems they run into is the pride of being a young man tends to tell yourself like, well, I can do anything. I just have to figure it out. I just have to work hard mm -hmm. enough. And then what you end up doing is you ignore the specific vulnerabilities about yourself and your own patterns of behavior. And so then you fail to take steps A, B, and C before you get to the bad point. And then you end up just walking right into the bad point on some false assumption that you'll be able to be strong enough to get through it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I also think like, I don't want to neglect the fact that me and you were having this conversation a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and I can't remember the context of it, but I said like the most important thing is to always keep an eternal perspective. Like, and having an understanding that if I follow Christ, then nothing that happens on this earth matters more than what's going to happen in eternity. Like I should always be looking forward to how does this affect my eternity? How does this affect my eternal existence? Um, and uh, Or how does this affect someone else's eternal existence? Like that's what I have to look at. Like the things that are going on in this world are just cyclical. The stuff that we're experiencing right now, ancient worlds have experienced it. To, to far worse degrees even. Um, even my grandparents' generation lived through two world wars, the Spanish flu, and they saw their parents have to live through the depression and the Dust Bowl. And like 
all this other stuff that is absolute insanity that they had to live through and they did it, you know, uh, <laughs> maybe they're better or worse for it, but they still, they were able to persevere. And I know from my parents or my grandparents perspective, a lot of theirs, a lot of their uh, ability to persevere was the eternal perspective of like, even if we die today because of this crap that's happening in our lives, we get to see Jesus tomorrow then. Or we get to see Jesus today. Like, you know, it's it's having that eternal perspective and not getting so bogged down with the things that are going on on this earth all the time. What happens here is only preparation for for eternity. It doesn't, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter as much as eternity is or as eternity does. So like keeping that perspective is super, super important in being able to, to persevere through anything. And the Bible speaks about that all the time. Like, you know, we should count it joy that we face, James says, we should count it joy that we face trials and tribulations because we know that in that, like, our faith is proven. Uh, the Romans talks about it, about perseverance, you know, um, leading to character and character to hope. Like, at the end of the day, it's it's the fact that we have the hope in Christ that we are going to be in eternity with him at some point in paradise, you know, and that whatever's going on on this earth is just leading us and uh, sanctifying, which is a big churchy word to say, preparing us for eternity. So I think there's good evidence to suggest that the focus on national politics and on global problems is one of the sources, if not the primary source of demoralization. Is it the case that the church and the people in the church need to shift their focus away from the national and global scale onto the local scale or is it possible that if we maintain this eternal perspective, we can continue to focus on the national and global level? Like, what do you think the most wise thing for a person to do is in that situation? Because it strikes me as unwise to ignore what's happening on the national stage and on the global stage. But at the same time, that's, those are massive problems. And if we spend all of our time on those, we're, we often neglect the needs of our own local communities. And sometimes fulfilling the local community need branches out into, you know, the region and then the state and then the nation. And so I don't really know. I have a hard time striking that balance, whether we focus on the the national issues or whether we focus on the local issues, because it seems to me if we don't have the eternal perspective mm -hmm. and we focus on these big, big problems, demor that, that's like a recipe for yeah. demoralization. So again, what can you control? What are you more likely to be able to control? You are more likely to be able to control what is local right? Like what is actually in your community. And then if you can control what's actually in your community to some degree, then maybe it does have a ripple effect and maybe it doesn't, but at least you impacted where you were placed, right? Like unless God has placed you in the, the federal government <laughs> to uh, influence people at the federal level and at a larger macro level, then you're probably not meant to influence that right? You're meant to influence where you are at right now. We've had this conversation before about when we were talking through anxiety about that. Um, we were not created as human beings to have to deal with everybody's problems, which means the entire world's problems. Like we were created to be able to focus on our family and to focus on our close knit community. Like that is what we have capacity for. We don't have capacity for the entire world, for the entire nation, even. Like we could have vision for that and believe that, but where that starts is right here, like right next to you. It starts with your neighbor. It starts with somebody in your class. It starts with your professor. It starts with somebody you work with. Like that's where it starts. And so as far as the local church goes, yeah, I think the church 
in the Western world, in America, has not, and this is not the whole church, but a lot of like visible churches have made an issue or have, have made a problem out of trying to address national issues. It's like, do we want to pray for our leaders? Absolutely. Should we call people to pray for certain situations? Absolutely, we should. But if you're preaching messages that have a political background to them and they like have some political statements in your message, you're missing the mark. Like the mark is to preach the gospel and to make Jesus known through not only your words, but through your actions and how you how you serve your community. And so we absolutely, as the entire local church have to focus on what is going on locally and not necessarily just what is going on globally, unless God has placed you in that position. And that's a totally different thing. So we've been talking a little bit about street preaching lately. And I'll be honest, I've never... time out, time out, time out. (laughs) Okay, so I've been trying to teach Michael how to segue. And this is our first podcast in a while. Uh, uh, And so maybe he's forgotten how to segue. But I set you up there for a really good segue. And then you just like pulled the e-brake for the segue. What you should have done, and this is for everybody, if you're an aspiring podcaster, communicator, whatever, is you got to make bridges, not walls to smash through or jump over, okay? The bridge here is that I just set it up for you. We got to focus on what's local. We got to make sure that we preach the gospel with, with <laughs> and not just with our words, but how we serve people. We got to focus on what is local right here, right now. And then you could have said... You know, one of the ways that uh, I've been thinking about lately or that we've been talking about lately to reach people locally is to street preach in a different way. See, that's how you can segue, not pull the freaking e-brake and be like, Uh, so we've been talking about street preaching. No, actually, we're talking about the local church and politics just now. That, that is a buttery smooth segue <laughs> that you've presented, but I, alas, I sell insurance for whiplash. So. Oh my gosh. Um, okay, so continue. We have we have now bridged the gap. We were talking about local stuff, and part of lo- locality in preaching the gospel has been for for centuries street preaching. And I've never, I've never witnessed a street preacher who I thought was effective. I haven't witnessed a lot of them, but every one that I've seen um, just didn't strike me like they were doing much good. Uh, yeah, like they were mostly antagonizing and 100%. so my question is is street, is that just part of street preaching itself just thrusting yourself into a place where people are not like you kind of have a captive audience like if that's their route to work and they want to go to work they have to walk past your preaching mm-hmm. um is it just the nature of the beast or is there an effective way to do street preaching and if there is an effective way to do it what does that look like Okay, so this is a very uh, relevant topic for the IUP campus here in Indiana uh, because literally there is a slang term for the Bible preachers in the Oak Grove, and it is the Oak Grove Bible humpers, which is terrible. (laughs) But it's true, and you, if you go to IUP, you've heard about them, right? And you've seen them. And in fact, last year... Uh, in 2022, I think the spring of 2022, there was someone who was preaching outside of the multicultural, uh, center. And, um, I don't know exactly what they were preaching, so I'm not going to speak specifically to that person. Um, 
However, it did incite a slight mob. Um, and so whatever they were speaking, uh, whether it be hateful or whether it be just uh, ill-timed or ill-mannered even, um, whether it be truth without love, uh, <laughs> he just used the sword, you know, didn't use any kind of like <laughs> chill methods whatsoever. It just was like, I'm going to slash these fools. Um, he incited a riot. Now, is that a good thing? Probably not. Like, I don't think that's a good thing. Is that something that is, oh, well, that's just what comes with the territory because I'm being persecuted for my faith. Like, there's a difference between being persecuted for your faith because you're being faithful and you are being, um, as Jesus said, as wise as serpents and as cunning as doves in the way that you, um, or as gentle as doves, sorry, in the way that you um, present the gospel. Uh, and there's a difference in, in being persecuted because of that, like in doing it the right way with wisdom, or uh, being persecuted because you just jump into the fire. Like you can't be like, ah, I'm being burned. And it's like, well, you jumped into the fire, idiot. Like <laughs> without any protection whatsoever, you're just yeah. like, I'm gonna jump in here and see what happens. That's dumb. If you go swim with sharks, you have a cage around you. You don't freaking go swim with sharks just to go swim with sharks because guess what? You're going to get eaten. It's not wise. So do I think that there is a wise way to do street preaching? Absolutely. Most, I'm not even going to say most, every single street preacher I have ever met, one of which I actually had a conversation with because I was so angry the way he was preaching, has always been what the Oak Grove Bible Humper uh, moniker is of I'm going to yell and scream at you. I'm going to tell you you're going to hell. I'm going to tell you the only way out of hell is a loving God who sent his son Jesus, which, okay, all those are true. But the way you present it matters. And you can't just shout at people on the street because you're right. They are, they are captive and that's not necessarily a good thing. Like the fact that they're a captive audience doesn't really help you. It actually kind of hurts you because you have to be able to come up with a with a sentence or a phrase or a question that someone is only going to listen to for maybe at the most 30 seconds to intrigue them. And it can't be, hey, do you like the heat? No. Why? Well, because you're going to be living in it for eternity in hell. Like, <laughs> you can't do that. It's wrong. <laughs> but that's what street preachers do, man. Or they have like a sign that's like, you know, um, God hates blank, you know, like fill in the blank there. Like that is a problem. That's what incites riots. That's what turns people off. Again, what I said earlier, building bridges versus building walls. Like you cannot build a wall to the gospel. You have to build a bridge to the gospel. And so if you were to street preach the proper way, that has to be it. Back in the nineties, like mission trips, at least in my uh, denomination, mission trips, they would go like to Boston or um, I don't know why Boston, but for some reason I always hear they went to Boston. Um, my parents did that. Uh, or you go to Africa or you go to El Salvador or whatever, and you do these street, quote unquote, street ministries. And they included like break dancing and like singing or like music or this and that. And back then, maybe that's fine. That was the culture and they were able to reach people, but never did they like stand on the corner and be like, Hey, <laughs> it's hot out here, huh? Yeah. Well, guess what? It's going to be hotter <laughs> in hell. Like we, they didn't do that. Um, and I don't think the context for that exists now. I think that would be considered extremely hokey. And I think it's time has come and gone, but back then it worked. 
that's because they were building a bridge. They weren't being weirdo Christians. And like, man, if there's one thing that drives me insane, it's weirdo Christians. Yeah, for sure. So completely off the record, just between you and me, do you see, do you foresee a possibility of a future of street preaching from United on campus? Oh, man. So I have two thoughts on this. One, I would love to redeem that. Like I would, I would love to be a part of redeeming that. So I said, you don't just jump into a, a ocean with sharks and swim with them and then feel like you're not going to get eaten. So, but I'm crazy enough to still want to jump in with the sharks. I just want to figure out how to like make that to where it's the safest possible. Right. Um, I think that we are living a world right now where we cannot shy away from speaking the gospel outside of church. Like, I don't think we can. And I think that the whole undercover, like, we'll just preach Jesus at your local uh, coffee shop or like, you know, just meet with people or just uh, go to go to your um, school or your work and just like befriend somebody and then, then tell them about Jesus like five years later. Like, those things work and they're, they're okay, but I don't think that that model is... I don't think that model is, uh, and forgive me for the using this word, aggressive enough for the times that we live in. We just talked about demoralization and like that is running rampant. Anxiety is running rampant. Like, I mean, suicide amongst this age group, like amongst millennials to the top end of Gen Z is is high. And it's like there we have so many problems in this world that doing this undercover long-term five-year plan thing. It's like, I don't know, maybe that's for somebody else, but I don't think it's for me. And so that to say, there is a need on the campus of IUP to preach the gospel and to be bold about it. So not speak- stupid though. And right. that's, that's where like my second thought is, is I would not do it if I couldn't figure out a way to build a bridge and if I was only building walls. And that that's, I've had this thought for about two years about wanting to do this. But the thing that keeps stopping me is I'm like, okay, but how do I build the bridge and not just build a wall? Right, yeah, that's, I think that's wise. So speaking of the times that we're living in, um, let's play pessimist and assume that a revival is not coming and that we are heading into a post-Christian culture how should college students and young adults live out their faith in such a hostile and godless environment? What advice do you have for them? Number one, start with the word of God. You have to, you have to know your Bible. You've got to know the word because the word is Jesus. John, which we've been doing a Bible study. If you've been to our Bible studies um, every other week during the summer, we've been, we haven't even made it through the first chapter of John yet. Thank you, Michael. Um, <laughs> it's taken us four weeks and we're not even through the first chapter. So we're not getting through the book, that's for sure. Um, but at the beginning of John, you know, um, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and the Word was with God and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and the Word was Jesus. And so if you want to know Jesus more, singing a worship song isn't going to do it. If you want to know Jesus more, even praying for hours on end isn't going to do it. To know Jesus more, it starts with the word of God, not someone else's interpretation of the word. So don't go and watch your favorite Stephen Furtick sermon or your favorite Robert Madu sermon or your favorite whatever. Like those things are, um, 
those things are appetizers to the main course. Maybe even dessert sometimes to the main course. But the main course is your willingness and discipline to read the Word of God, hopefully daily. But if not daily, then as much as possible. And not just to read it, but to have an understanding, to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal Himself to you through the Word to ask, um, to look up commentaries. I've mentioned enduring word commentary many, many times. Uh, and I mean, even for me, I actually have a Bible plan sent to me every day on my email from Harris Creek Baptist church or not Harris Creek Baptist church is a Baptist. I don't know. Harris Creek church, uh, from Waco, Jonathan Pacluda. We've mentioned him a couple times and he's, uh, used to be a young adults pastor at the porch. Um, we've, we've looked at some of his books, uh, over the past couple of years. Um, he pastors there, And they have a Bible reading plan that is sent to you and it has commentary on it. And it has videos that help you understand the context of what you're reading or songs to help you contemplate. It has questions for you to ask yourself as you read it. This one that I read this morning has a prayer for you to pray. Um, And so like that is helpful. And I would say, number one, it has to start there because if you don't, and I almost would say it ends there because like if you don't read the word of God and have the word of God in you, then you cannot know what is actually true and you will fall um, you will fall for whatever seems true, right? There's a lot of stuff out here that seems true. There's a lot of stuff that I wish was true. Me, personally, I wish that this interpretation of the world was true, but it's just not. And I yeah. don't get to decide what is or what isn't. The word of God decides what is or what isn't. Yeah, and you need that anchor too, because like when you're talking about the culture making something seem like it's true, what that would look like on the ground is like your entire friend group telling you that something's true, 15, 20, 50 people all telling you that the same thing is true. It's possible that depending on where you go, that you'll have everyone around you telling you that something's true. Um, and you know, it may not be. And so you need that anchor. Yeah. So this is a, this is actually something I sent you last night. Um, it's a screenshot of a book I'm reading called killer church, uh, by Nathan Finocchio. And this is what he said. Um, and this is, well into the book. So there's a lot of context that goes into it. So uh, I advise you to go read the book. If you're like, if this statement makes you angry, then go purchase the book and read it. Um, and then uh, DM Nathan Finocchio and tell him I told you to. So maybe I get a kickback. No, just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> he doesn't even know me. So um, it says this, a Christian doesn't get to decide what they believe about hell or sin or sexuality. All of that is predetermined for them when they receive Jesus because Jesus has words and his words are life. And if you reject his words, you reject him, John 14, 15. And the church acts as a historic witness to the words of Christ as recorded in scripture, particularly on essential doctrines. When you become a Christian, you decide to trust Jesus, not your own understanding of Jesus. And if there is anything that says this is what a post-Christian world is going to look like, a post-Christian world looks like what we're already seeing in the deconstruction movement of, I'm going to determine what Jesus actually meant by what he said here, instead of years of study and years of, um, not even years, centuries (laughs) of studies, millennia (laughs) of passed down from generation to generation of this is what God meant when he said this. Like I have to choose that my faith pushes me that way. And even if I have questions or I don't like it, like too bad, like that is what it means. And I don't get to determine 
what Jesus meant by this. I don't get to determine what I want Jesus to have said. Um, and if anything, I think that's the direction the post-Christian world is going to go uh, in the West for sure, because we're already seeing it with the deconstruction movement, or we're already seeing it with progressive churches. Um, there is a church in Nashville that's actually called Progressive Church. And I think oh, it's in no. Nashville or Tennessee <laughs> or whatever. And they literally like in their doctrine say that they don't believe that the Bible is the word of God. That's in, that it's inspired by what God. What are they even doing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that it's inspired by God, but that it's not, it's not, uh, it's not the word. Yeah. Like there are many words of God and they can come from many people. And it's like, ew, that's, that's not only dangerous. Like that's like, <laughs> that is the, like, that's like, nuclear weapon dangerous. Like that oh, yeah. is terrible to faith. And so again, I think it begins and ends with the scripture. And I know that that seems like, oh, it's just such a Sunday school answer, such a quick answer. Of course, you, a pastor says this, like, no, I recognize that in my own life. Because when I start to be, to bring it all the way back, like when I start to get demoralized, when I start to question what I'm doing with my life, when I start to lose perspective on uh, eternity, I have to look and say, well, have I been reading my scriptures? No, I haven't. And in fact, I told you this a couple weeks ago. I was on vacation and I was like, dude, I've been so out of my uh, out of my routine. I haven't read the Bible like literally and sat down and read it in two weeks. And you looked at me and you go, ugh. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you know what? I felt it. Like I could feel it. I could feel it on the inside of me. Like my stress, my anxiety, like uh, any, and I don't, I even hate using that word, but it's true. Like stress, anxiety, uh, feeling like, why am I even doing this? Loss of vision, you know, uh, spiritual vision, like, all that stuff was happening to me because I wasn't in my, wasn't in the word. Like I wasn't allowing the word to shape me. And so that has to be number one, because it's going to pull you back to God knows he knows best. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. It doesn't matter what's going on around me. God is good. He is faithful. He is just, he is righteous. And my only hope is in him. Yeah. That's a great place to wrap this up. When is United coming back and where? Uh, the where is Indiana, Pennsylvania <laughs> around the campus. That's where on the first night, August 30th, it's going to happen. Um, that's in 21 days from right now from us recording this. So 21 days from the recording of this podcast, which is terrifying and exciting. Uh, August 30th, 727. Um, it's going to be around the campus of IUP. But hey, after that week, we are going to be in the Ohio room. So we we closed out the last year in the Ohio room uh, at the hub on the IUP campus. And that is where we're going to be for the rest of the semester and hopefully for the rest of the year. Uh, but the first one, it's going to be something special. And if it doesn't rain, please, Jesus, it's going to be outside. All right. That sounds great. Thank you for listening to the Uloft podcast, everyone. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Uloft podcast. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to it. Also, come out and join us for a Unite every Tuesday at 727 p.m. This is a time of music, friends, and important teaching. You don't want to miss it. You can learn more about Unites, as well as everything else we do, by visiting unitediup.com. Thank you all for hanging out with us, and we will see you in the next episode.